You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, everybody. If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The 7 Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word 7 Habits. That's the number 7 Habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Chad Sanderson. And Chad is a B2B sales and marketing professional with over 20 years of experience. He's worked with clients including Verizon, eBay, Microsoft, and even the Minnesota Vikings, just to name a few. Today, he's managing partner of Value Selling Associates and the host of the B2B Revenue Executive Experience Podcast. Welcome to the show, Chad. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I've listened to your show. I love it. You do a great job with it. You and I met through LinkedIn, through a mutual friend, James Carberry from Sweetfish Media. Big kudos to James. I'm so excited that you're on here today because we're going to talk about something a little bit different today. I try to mix up the topics on this because, again, not everybody wants to talk about Facebook marketing or LinkedIn marketing or webinars (laughs) or email marketing. You know, that gets old after a while, right? So we're going to tackle a little bit different topic. And it's it's timely because we're going to be going into the new year, 2019. It's a new year and everybody's got these big goals and and they've got budgets to spend, right? So we want to make sure that organizations are spending those budgets correctly, particularly as it relates to sales. So what you're going to talk about is how to hire top B2B sales talent. And it's a little bit different than what most people think. But before you unpack that for us, before you dive into that, give us a quick backstory. Tell us a little bit about how you got here and then we'll jump right into it. Yeah, excellent. So it's funny, I started my career actually in marketing, believe it or not. Back in the day when the internets were new, I was working for the American Medical Association and and somebody came in and said, hey, there's this internet thing and we think it might be pretty big. And so we're going to fund a team for six months and see if it takes off a marketing team focused on this internet. And then if it doesn't take off, we're going to fire you. Who's interested? And I said, wow, well, hell, I'll take a shot. Why not? And so fast forward eight years into marketing and then I realized, you know what? The real fun was in sales because you get to you know, you could solve complex problems, work with very cool people, and of course, do a lot of travel. So did that, was successful as an individual contributor, ended up being executive growing sales and marketing teams at three different companies. We sold one. I have had the opportunity to work around the globe with a lot of people. And two and a half years ago, decided, you know what, I love the framework and the way we do it. So I'm going to join the company and actually enable sales teams from the outside. And here we sit. Perfect. So tell us a little bit about your company, whether it be size or revenue or employees or growth. Give us a little bit of a sense as to the, you know, how far you've been able to come with your company so far. Well, so Value Selling Associates is a, is a global company and there's a lot, uh, 60 some odd associates, I believe. I, you know what? I'm not sure what the total revenue for the organization is. I know for us, for me as an individual, I kind of run my own entity. I think of it more as a franchise type model. But I can tell you that in the two years that we've been doing it, we uh, have tripled revenue each year. We hit our seven-figure goal halfway through this year, and it has been a wild, wild, wild ride to uh, you know be understated about it. 
So is your business more coaching, training, consulting, a little bit of all three? I mean, tell us a little bit about the structure of how you come in and, and help these organizations. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really sales transformation. So we have a framework that we, is called the value selling framework. And when I say that, I mean, big V, big S, it's actually trademarked and all of that. A lot of people will talk about, oh, I want value-based selling. That's different than the value selling framework. So it's essentially a framework that we come in and we work with companies to install. We train their sales teams, marketing teams. It's an internal, can be used internally as well. So we do the training of the reps. Then we do the coaching of the managers. And then we actually do strategic account reviews. So one of our customers is Adobe. We train their global sales force all around the world. Uh, and we work with their sales enablement team to make sure as new people are brought on, they are exposed to it. And we work with executives on down to make sure it's really put into the DNA of the company. Perfect. So now let's get a little bit micro into that business. If you had to pick one strategy, what would be the number one strategy that you guys are using today to get new clients for your business? <laughs> Just one? <laughs> your favorite, whichever one it was. If you could only pick one and you only had time and resources and energy to do one, what would it be? I mean, the, app, the, the providing value right, is the key. right? That's what we're after. So when we want new clients, we need to provide them value. I would say for us, the podcast and the content and the content creation has been amazingly effective. But that's kind of cheating because the podcast is only effective if I'm using it and promoting it through other channels, right? Just doing it in and of itself, you know, shouting into the wilderness and nobody's listening. So it's really that combination, I think, of, of you know, being able to create a collaborative environment that's going to provide value to our target prospects, capture their attention and channel that and change that into a, a conversation regardless of you know what that topic may be that got them to engage initially in the first place. So it's really content marketing. What channel, if you had to hone it down and peel the onion back one step further, what channel or channels do you think have been most effective for you in leveraging, whether it be your podcast content, written word, video, or however you're, whatever content you're creating? I'd say for us, the most effective channel is LinkedIn. I mean, now granted, we have customers that we get they don't come from LinkedIn, but if you want to talk, you know, just general impact of when we put that content out, how we factor it, and and how we, you know, pace it over time, the conversations that have come as a result of providing that through that channel, through LinkedIn, it's you know, the context is business, so we're set up to have business conversations. It's definitely been the one where we get the most engagement, and it's it, you know, it spawns the conversations that we're looking to have with the level of people we're looking to talk to. Perfect. Yeah. Well, you know me. That's my second home. That's where I love to hang out. That's, and I totally agree with you. LinkedIn has been very good to me. So I'm happy to hear that, you, that you're cashing in on it as well and that you're able to connect with your target market. So question is, and the topic of the evening or the day or the morning or whenever you guys are tuning in is how do you hire top B2B sales talent, right? Because I think there's a misnomer and people sometimes are a little bit misguided that they think that past performance equals future performance, right? What you did in your last job, they look at, hey, did this guy make six figures in his last job? Was he a top performer? That's going to convert over here. And I know from personal experience, that definitely doesn't always translate. So can you unpack that for us a little bit and then tell us a little bit more on your methodology on how you work with clients and, and even internally on how you ensure the most riskless proposition when you're investing in sales. <laughs> riskless. I love it. So, I mean, look, we all know, you know, the, the, the cliches exist for a reason and salespeople should be able to interview well and get themselves a job. 
And we hear all the time, we hear from our clients, well, I hire A players, so now I just need to put, you know, I just need a framework so that they all are at least consistent. Hiring salespeople is a lot like playing the stock market, right? Past performance does not predict future because we're talking about different environmental factors. So one of the mistakes that we see often is that sales executives or organizations will decide, all right, I'm going to go look at last year's W-2s for all these reps. Whoever made the most money will hire them. Well, that's great, but you're not comparing apples to apples because they were selling in a different company, a different solution set, different culture to probably a different target audience. And even if it is the same market and it's still, you know, still selling SaaS software, your company is still different. So what we see and recommend is that companies take the time to assess a baseline for their organization. What types of individuals work well in that organization? Not just in the sales organization, but across it as a whole, because collaboration and team selling is the name of the game. So it's not, you know, lone wolf days. You may still have a lone wolf, but if you want to scale an organization, they have to get along with everybody, right? And they also have to have a much more diverse skill set than just being charming. So understand the organization that you're in, understand who's going to fit in that, and then look at the behaviors. Just because they can sell doesn't mean they will based on, you know, your set of environmental factors. Maybe it's your tool set or your process or, Maybe they have to travel more and they're just not, they're not up for the travel, right? So really making sure that you have a baseline of what good looks like is critical to making sure that you're hiring the right people. Salespeople are expensive. You bring them in, you know, if, if they walk out the door in nine months, that's a lot of time, energy, and money that just walked out the door. So we need to make sure that they're a fit. And if you can do that effectively in a quantitative manner... Then when you put together your enablement plan, how are you going to support them? What kind of, what's your tech stack look like? What's the process look like? What kind of training methodology am I going to use? Then you have a much greater ROI further down in the enablement chain than just hiring a whole bunch of A players and hoping they'll adhere to whatever you put in front of them. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to rewind a little bit because you started out by saying, you know, that a lot of times people will hire, they'll past performance does not equal future performance. They'll look at their W-2. And I think the tendency there is people will look at their previous income because it's very difficult to root out the reality of a sales rep, right? There's an old adage that I heard a long time ago. It's best actor gets the job, right? It's, <laughs> it's not always the best guy or the best right. gal or the best you know, sales rep. It best actor gets the job. So people that are really good at interviewing can really BS you into a, into a job offer. And then, like you said, six months, nine, three, six, nine months down the road, you've invested a ton of money. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs and executives in the sales arena will, will focus in on that past performance. So tell me, how do you create that baseline? How do you create that baseline? And then how do you compare against it? Or is there some strategies for Maybe is there, are there some interviewing strategies that can help root that out? I mean, maybe we can unpack that a little bit more. Yeah. So if we, so what we do as part of our business is we work with a company called Objective Management Group and they have a database of over a million sales profiles that they have conducted. So think personality test, but it goes deeper than that, right? It's not just Briggs or DISC or anything like that. We're talking about identifying the competencies and the behaviors that we know you know, make the DNA of a sales professional. It's no longer just enough to be charming. There are a bunch of other things that have to be in place. So in order to, you know, assess who you're bringing in, you have to have a baseline. And the OMG, it's OMG and I, it's not, oh my God, but that's OMG is the name of the company, Objective Management. It's not enough to be able to just bring them in 
and compare them against a baseline. It has to be a baseline that also works inside of your organization. So there's 21 competencies, core competencies in the objective management group assessment, and there's a whole bunch of sub-competencies. And it basically helps you understand, you know, does this person have the behaviors and the drive in order to fit into your baseline in the organization? So it's an assessment, starts usually with assessing your existing sales team. Let's run them through this assessment. We that you know does a lot of reporting, provides you with a, a very detailed report that boils down and says, all right, here's your baseline in your organization. Here's what your baseline in your organization looks like compared to the global comparison of what good looks like. And then based on those two, here's really the profile of what you're looking for from a behavior standpoint. So it's extremely quantitative. It's based off of a bunch of scientific research and compiling of that stuff and spits out basically, you know, this is what you're looking for to reduce your risk. So I'll give you an example. We have a we have a client who, you know, they we'd done our job with them. We'd implemented the value selling framework. They had some pockets of success, but they didn't get they weren't getting the, you know, the return that they thought. And their assumption was that the sales reps weren't engaging with the methodology. And so, you know, we talked to them and said, "Hey, let's let's do this assessment, see what's really going on." Well, as we went through the assessment, what we found was that it actually had nothing to do with the sales team it was really falling down with the managers because the managers didn't have the right profiles to effectively coach, to effectively engage, to effectively do just-in-time coaching or provide feedback because it was an organization where the vast majority of their management ranks had been the top performers that got promoted to being managers. And that's a totally different skill level. Just because you can go out and crush a quota doesn't mean you're the type of person that should be coaching and leading a team, right? Some people yeah. can make that transition, some can't. Matter of fact, in my experience, those usually make the worst managers. Oh yeah, well, they're usually the ones that go, all right, cool, I'll take the opportunity. And then about eight months in, they go, wow, this is horrible. <laughs> I don't like doing this. Right, I'm, making, I'm making less money and I've got all this stress. I might as well, just, I should just go back to what I'm good at. Oh uh, yeah, and then their answer becomes, well, take me out on the, take me into the field with you and I'll close the deal for you. Well, that's not scalable. Right. That's not scalable, right? So by doing that assessment, we were able to actually change the customer's view of where the problem actually was. And that allowed us to then put together a profile on, okay, this is what you need in the management spots. And as a result of that, fast forward, you know, three and a half, I think it was three and a half, four months, the uptick in adoption and application of the sales methodology more than tripled, as did the results that were, were from that. But the assumption was that the problem was with the field team, not management. And so by doing the assessment, we were able to identify where those holes were. And then as a result of that, establish a baseline for what good looks like, not only in the field team, but in the management ranks as well. So going forward, there's a lot less risk and they're get, now they're getting the results that they wanted. Uh, it was done a little bit backwards. You should always do the assessment first, but there's still an opportunity to provide that baseline of what good looks like in this environment so we can do it moving forward. Interesting. So does the, uh, does the company assessment, when you go in and do the assessment of the company, and you look at the field, you know, staff and sales reps that are out there, does it take into consideration or does it weight the higher performers and the, and the traits and skill sets that they have over the lower performers? Or does it just add it all together and come out with an average? No, no, no. It's very specific across, say, those 20, like, especially across the 21 competencies. Like, is that, you know, is the person, the word I use is grit, but do they have the ability to be persevere. So perseverance is critical, especially if, you know, in sales, we all know that, you know, it seems like kind of common sense. But if I'm selling a SaaS platform for the hottest startup that just got the greatest amount of funding and everybody wants it, and then I go and I sell for a more established SaaS platform 
where the excitement isn't as there. It's more established. There's more of a grind. I have to do more to demonstrate my differentiation against you know what's hot on the market. There's a level of, of grit, of grind, of commitment that has to be there in order for them to be successful in that uh, environment. So that's just one of the competencies is the commitment to the sales process element. And we assess that, right? And so there's 21 of them, very specific, lays them out in a kind of looks like, I think your audience will probably understand the, the Gartner Magic Quadrant, right? It looks like that and when it's laid out. And it just it's not saying this person's good or bad. It's just saying, this is what you're dealing with. And so now let's figure out if that matches what we really need. Gotcha. So we've assessed the organization. We've assessed the people within it. And now you assess your candidates as they're coming in through the process. I'm assuming you do some sort of filtering process. And then when you get down to your, you know, your, your kind of your select group of maybe your top five or 10 candidates, then you run them through the same sort of OMG process. Is that kind of the framework? Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. And, and what it'll do actually is the assessment layer for, let's say people you're looking to hire. So if you have 15 candidates and you, you like I said, you get it down to five. You can run them through at any time. It's really lightweight. You can do it online kind of thing. But what it does, is it spits out a report. So the manager, the person interviewing, it'll say, hey, based on the baseline that we've established, based on the global baseline, there are some areas here that you're going to want to dig into in your interviewing process. So now it becomes a guide for the managers or HR or whoever to dive into the interview and go after the areas where there might be something that needs to be uncovered. Maybe there's a weakness or something they want to explore. And I would never say it's 100% prescriptive. So it's not like this is going to tell you you should or shouldn't hire this person. It's just going to, it really takes the guesswork out of true behavioral interviewing. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my career is trying to filter through and hire the right salespeople. It is so challenging and (laughs) so subjective. And so, you know, it's almost like, I mean, there's statistics out there that, you know, the people that make the best first impression in the first three to five minutes of an interview are statistically an anomaly. They get hired more than anybody else. It's really not based upon a scientific approach like this. And what I really love about this is that when you have an organization that's been funded and really needs to ramp up their sales force, right? And they really need to start getting feet on the ground, you know, that subjectivity slows you down. But if you have a real framework like this, where it's not nearly as subjective. Of course, it's not an exact science, but it's taking and putting it, taking a lot of that subjectivity out of it. And it's using a large data set to do that. Man, I wish I had this 15 years ago. (laughs) I've made some really bad hires in my time. I think I was told once, you know, even the best hiring managers only bat 500, right? And it's a challenge. It is definitely a challenge. Sales reps, you know, even in the sales process, we talk about storytelling, right? Reps are really good. Salespeople are really good at telling stories. What we need to do is get to a point where our understanding is a little bit more binary so that we can focus. And we're not only in the hiring process, but all the way through the sales process. And this just helps us do it. It isn't the be all end all. Like I said, it's not, you're not pulling a lever and saying, do I or don't I hire this person? It really is using big data and analytics to provide you with areas of focus, considering how complex the skill set has to be for B2B salespeople to be effective today. Perfect. Well, listen, I wish I was 500 in the hiring process when it comes to salespeople, (laughs) but I'm going to be totally honest with you. I'm not. Historically speaking, I don't know what the numbers are, but they're definitely way worse than 500. So listen, I appreciate you going through that. Let's do a little bit of rapid fire on these next couple of questions. 
What's your favorite growth tool or software that you're using to grow your business today? Ooh, man, you, you, you want to get me down to the favorites and I'm such, I'm all over the place, right? I'm actually a really big fan of gong.io. I love that tool for myself because I, I you know, use it myself, but also when we get to use it with our customers, really enables great opportunities for coaching. Tell people really quick, give them a 30 second rendition into that. I've heard about it recently. I haven't used it, but it sounds really interesting. Yeah. So essentially it records, uh, it records your sales call and it applies analytics and AI on the back end to tell you, you know, what percentage did you talk versus percentage that the other person talk and were there, were there buzzwords that you missed or did you, you know, not ask enough questions. And so it, it gives you a great kind of starting point summary of that call. So you can be more aware why I work with it so much is because a lot of our clients have it. And we'll go in and if they've implemented our value selling methodology, then we'll go in and use those recordings to actually create a database of this is what a good sales call sounds like. And so now they have tools and mechanisms for onboarding in the future or ongoing training, but it's an awareness thing. I mean, I, I'm always amazed at how many people don't, don't listen to themselves. <laughs> they've never listened to themselves on a recording at all. It can be slightly uncomfortable. This helps apply some of those analytics just gives you the opportunity to continually improve. I love on the back end, I'm a big fan of Gong. On the front end, I love Front Spin, which is a cadence manager, kind of like Outreach.io or Sales Loft. It's just built from the telephony side up. And I'm a big believer in the phone still because that's what human connection is about. So those are kind of on the each end of the sales cycle. Those are probably my two favorite right now. Perfect. What's one book that you've read recently that you would, you know, you think would be valuable to my audience? Ah, uh, wow. One. Let's see. I really like um, Creativity Inc. It's a story of Pixar and I'll, it's not new. I have a tendency to go back to it. And the reason I go back to it, especially in sales and marketing, is it helps understand what a true powerful story uh, is comprised of and how Pixar uh, went about creating kind of the backbone for that storytelling technique that they use in all of their successful movies. It translates very nicely to how do I interact with a human being and make a connection and gives us some great actionable insights. Again, it's not your typical business book, but it is one of, it's definitely one of my favorites. Perfect. I love it. Well, listen, before we close it out, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about your business, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah. So LinkedIn, just Chad Sanderson. Uh, you'll see my big bald head. Don't hesitate to reach out there or just chad.sanderson at valueselling.com. Perfect. Don't mistake Chad's big bald head for my big bald head, <laughs> but do connect with him on LinkedIn and I'll make sure I put those uh, links in the show notes. And hey, listen, really appreciate you being here today and I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Chad. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.